1: Hey guys, I need to tell you about Elite Health Center of New Jersey. Everyone who knows me, who listens to this podcast knows that I have gained the COVID-15. It's a true fact. We're all at home and even I have gained 15 pounds. Nothing, I mean, nothing worked for me. I could not lose weight. So I turned to the Elite Health Center of New Jersey. And here's the thing, it's not a diet, it's a lifestyle it's an HCG fast weight loss plan. And that's the thing. Their goal is really to help you lose weight in the fastest amount of time. And who doesn't want to do that? Their number one goal is weight loss, but it's not just weight loss. It's keeping off the weight. I mean, what's the point of losing the weight if you're just going to gain it back? And again, it's not a diet. It's a lifestyle. It's about changing your habits And what I love the best about it is there is no thought. You can have a virtual consultation. If you're in New Jersey and you want to go into the office, great. If not, you can have a virtual consultation and then everything is sent to you by mail with complete instructions. You do not have to think. They literally tell you what to eat for breakfast, snacks, lunch, and dinner. They are available basically 24 hours a day. Trust me. I email and text them at all hours, and I get a response immediately. But listen, don't take my word for it. All of our friends have lost weight this way as well. Jennifer Aiden, Dolores Catania, Darcy and Stacey from 90 Day Fiance, our friends Renee Graziano and Karen Gravano from Mob Wives, and let's not forget Jersey Shore's Angelina Pivarnik. The easiest way to find them, I'm going to keep it really easy, is go to their Instagram, at NJ. That's at Elite Health Center NJ. And from there, you can text them, you can email them, you can DM them. That will get you in contact with them. Go to at Elite Health Center NJ on Instagram, contact them. If you wanna lose the weight, this literally took the weight off fast for me, it has kept it off reach out to Jen, reach out to Dolores, reach out to Angelina, Darcy, and Stacy. And hey, there's even before and after pictures of all of them on there too. So you can, don't take my word for it, see it for yourself. At Elite Health Center, New Jersey, if like me, you've gained weight from sitting at home, this will help and it will change your life and it will keep the weight off. And now on to today's show. Hey everyone, this is David. Welcome back behind the velvet rope. Let's just get right into it today because we are joined three thousand miles away by the one and only Mr. Sean Kanan.
2: Hey David, how are you?
1: How are you doing today?
2: I'm doing really well. I'm. uh, It's a busy day for me. Uh, I have a new book that's going to be coming out around Christmas, and so just been doing a lot of writing. you know, I've got uh, I've got some events coming up, and I'm doing like kind of a, I'm being my own secretary, so a lot of balls in the air right now. But you know what? I, for me, during I mean, I know we're not locked down anymore right now, really, but it's 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 about thriving, not just surviving, during all of this. So I try and stay really busy and active, and and have a lot of stuff going on.
1: Well, okay, so I have a lot of questions about your new, your new book, your appearances, everything, but. Sure. I like to start at the beginning. I feel like we can't get to the present unless we take it back for a minute. Okay. So my first question really is, where are you from originally? Like, you're, I take it you're not from Southern California.
2: No, no. Uh, I was born in Cleveland, Ohio, uh, and my family left when I was five. Uh, my dad joined our, our family business, which was a chain of retail jewelry stores, uh, Located, we're actually headquartered in Newcastle, Pennsylvania, which is about forty five minutes uh, west of Pittsburgh. And so I grew up in grew up in a, a small town, uh, about twenty five thousand people. Uh, we lived in the suburbs, but we were about five miles away from the Amish people. So it was really interesting. you know time I would bring a friend home uh, you know from college or something like that, it would be completely nothing unusual to see a horse and buggy or the Amish people going by for me, it was just kind of normal. You know, you see them, and you don't realize how unusual it is until people that never see them say, wow, these people live like it's the 1800s. Um, so I grew up there. I, I went to uh, a boarding school in Pennsylvania, my uh, junior and senior year. And after that, I went to Boston university for two years. And then in 87, moved out to uh, California to start my acting career and finish my Political science degree at UCLA.
1: So you always knew you wanted to go into acting.
2: You know, I, you know, I always say that growing up in a small town, you you tend to look past your um, immediate view to larger horizons. Just, you know, because you, you kind of dream about what else is out there. And so I knew I wanted to do something to kind of express myself. I, I didn't know what it was. It didn't sort of calcify as acting until I was probably, till I was probably a freshman in college Um, I I started really thinking about it when I was in 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 high school Um, but I really started formulating the plan knowing that I either had to go to New York or Los Angeles and I always joke it's much easier to starve where the weather's nice so I chose Los Angeles
1: that makes sense and did you starve I mean like when you first got there did you do like that you know you did you You know I,
2: I, I definitely I definitely had a wide array of jobs uh I was uh I was not good enough in LA to be a waiter. I was a food runner. And that lasted for about two weeks until I got busted in the walk-in freezer eating a plate of chilled salmon uh because I was hungry and they fired me. And about two weeks later I got my first film. Um but yeah, I had a bunch of crazy jobs. Um and yeah, you know, I mean I I, I struggled. Did I struggle like was I washing dishes and didn't know how he was going to pay my rent? No, I don't want to paint that picture. But, I mean, I definitely was like a young guy who didn't have a lot of money. Who was, You know, I, I made ends meet. Um, I was I was very fortunate that, you know, my, my family was supportive and helped me. Um, you know, as long as I was going to college, they, they were, you know, helpful. Uh, and thank God they were. Um, but, you know, I definitely paid my dues. Definitely.
1: Did you have those, like, when you were – running food plates not waiting tables like did you have those you know like famous people come into the restaurant and absolutely
2: but, but like the famous people i tell you you probably would be like oh we're not really that famous but okay so one guy i remember i got really star over um do you remember 16 candles
1: mm-hmm. of course
2: what getty watanabe who was the the uh the japanese actor who played the donger he was the exchange student and, and he was also in a film called um um Gung Ho with Michael Keaton, but you know, back then, 30-some years ago, those were movies that I had sort of just seen within the last couple of years. So yeah, and you know, I mean I was always trying to make conversation and I even remember when I was, I think I was in high school, and Patrick Swayze came to shoot a film uh at the next little town over from my little town. And I just I I literally found out where he was staying at his hotel, and, and basically stalked him. Like, I don't know what I thought I was going to do. Hi, my name's Sean. I want to be an actor, you know? And, and, and later, I'll never forget, my mother and I were in Pittsburgh, and we were at the William Penn Hotel, which is a pretty nice hotel in Pittsburgh, and I saw Michael Keaton. And I mean, what was I thinking? I literally followed this poor man up to his room, and I knocked on his door, and he, like, was putting his contact lens in, and he's like, yeah? And I just sort of looked at him, and left. I mean, I, you know, I, I just crazy stuff, you know? And so, uh, by the time I got out to uh, California, I, I was kind of you know ready to take it seriously and, you know, got my, uh, uh, my stalker instincts in, in check. And, uh, you know, I got an acting class and I started working and, and, and acclimating to the fact that, you know, uh, you know, it's not uncommon in Los Angeles to see people that you recognize and you, they don't really always want you to come up and talk to them and, and tell them how you want to be an actor. And so, uh, you know, I I assumed some normalcy, I guess.
1: So Michael, Caton and opened the door, and you just walked away.
2: I I just I just kind of looked at him, and he was like, "What?" And I, I no, you know what? Actually, oh my god, I think I do remember. It's so embarrassing. I I I think I I invited him to go play golf because my dad belonged to a country club. I, I just I mean, like lunacy. I know this. I've never told this story before, so I get how insane this this sounds.
1: No, I've done things.
2: You know, but I'll tell you a funny story. So years later, uh, I was flown to Italy to go to basically their version of the Emmys. And it was a a group of actors. It was me, Matt Dillon, Sean Connery went, um, and Patrick Swayze was one of them. And so I actually had a chance. I never told him that story, but I I had the chance to hang out with them. And it was just uh, amazing getting to know him. You know, he had starred in the film, The Outsiders. And I did the short-lived television series for Fox, The Outsiders. And uh, just, just a really incredible, interesting guy. And uh, it, you know, it, I think that's one of the things that I really like about what I do, that you never know who is going to come into your world or whose world you're going to come into based upon uh, stuff you might do Either as, as a working project or through a publicity thing or through a charity event, and you're constantly meeting new and interesting people, uh, and and I really like that because I think at my heart I'm still a fan. You know, I mean, there's still lots and lots of actors that I see and I get really excited about it. You know, and I and I like that about myself. You know what I mean? I I like that after 30 years I'm not, you know, I'm not jaded and uh, not jaded. I guess.
1: Like do you get you get starstruck? I mean, I'm not judging that because I do. I'm you just know, curious.
2: I, I I get starstruck. I sometimes I, I you know I'm able to keep it under control. I mean, I remember you know early on in my career, I, I met Clint Eastwood, and I was just like, he shook my hand, and I was just like, you know, um, do I get do I get starstruck? And I, I wouldn't say I get starstruck anymore, but I, you know, it, it makes me smile. It's it's like wow, I'm, I'm having a chance to work with this person or that person. Who maybe I've watched for years, and then you know, possibly getting to know them on a uh, on a personal level is is an even usually an even better gift. Not always, but usually.
1: That's good. So when you were having your lean years in L.A., what was it? Was it Karate Kid Three? Like that was technically your first big break.
2: That was my first big break. Yeah, I had done um, a guest start on a show for Fox. Uh, and that was a, that was a nice break. I mean, it was a, it was, you know, a guest star on a network television show, but, uh, you know, Karate Kid was far and away, uh, uh, the biggest thing that had happened to me at that point. I mean, it was the third installment of the, of an international franchise. Uh, and so, you know, it had such a built-in audience that, uh, it was, uh, it was fantastic.
1: And were you like freaking out when you got it?
0: You
2: know, it was, uh, it was strange because I got it through an open call and I've told this story many, many times. Um, uh, you know, I think they had this open call as a publicity stunt, not expecting to find uh, my role. And they actually hired somebody else first. They, they hired him for about a week. He didn't work out and they called me in. And, you know, I was in my little apartment above Sunset Boulevard, right above the whiskey uh, in, uh, uh, in West Hollywood, above, above Sunset. And I was crushed. I mean, it was really, really dejected that I didn't get the role because I I had done well. I mean, I I knew I had done well during my screen test. And I got the call to come to the producer's office. And I was like, the word that comes to me is like gobsmacked because I knew they were not calling me to sit me down and say, oh, we just want to tell you one more time you didn't get the role. I mean, I knew something good was coming of this. I figured like maybe – the lead bad guy had a buddy or something like that, a small part. And when I found out that, you know, they were, I mean, they, they, they hired me within it was like 20 minutes. Like I came in and Robert Mark came who had written the karate kid films later went on to write taken and the transporter series had me do, he's a martial artist had me do some, some very basic martial arts to make sure that I could, um, you know, I'd be able to digest the choreography uh, they went in a room and talked, and it was Robert Mark and John Allison, who had directed the first two Karate Kids and won the Oscar for Rocky. And I'm, I'm kind of like, they left the door open, so I'm kind of looking, and I'm, I'm getting bits. and I, like, I knew it's good. Like, I knew something good's happening, and they came out, and they go, okay, you're hired. You're going to make this much money a week. Go to a wardrobe. And it was like, like it, it was. I didn't have time to call my parents. I didn't have time to you know, call any friends. I mean, I went right into wardrobe and got fitted and got my schedule for choreography the next morning. They'd already started production. And so they were now wow. behind the eight ball. So, I mean, I literally got thrown into the lion's den and it was sink or swim. And, you know, fortunately I was, I was able to swim.
1: And at that point you're like, okay, let me just sign on the dotted line. Like they could have quoted any amount of money. It didn't really matter. <laughs>
2: matter I mean it wouldn't have mattered I mean you know being a part of that film absolutely changed the trajectory of my career and it changed my life and you know the interesting thing was that Ralph Macchio and Pat Morita obviously did all the press for the first two and so they weren't overly anxious to go on you know a press junket and all this stuff and so it it came to me to do it and I mean here I am I'm You know, I'm like 21 years old and they're sending me to 12 different major metropolitan cities with at the Four Seasons. I have a limo everywhere. I got to bring a friend. I got to bring my dad to a couple cities. And it was just, uh, you know, beyond. And, And what was great about it that I didn't know at the time was it was outstanding work for me to learn to work with the press to learn how to conduct myself, what to say, what not to say, uh, just, you know, e- everything. It was, it was, um, you know, it was, it was like uh, uh, a boot camp. How,
1: uh, how'd you learn? Like, did they, was there someone there with you or cause I mean, we all make those mistakes in the beginning.
2: Well, there, there were, there were people from the studio in each city, but you know, I mean, I, I mean, I, I've always tried to be a pretty articulate guy. I mean, you know, I had, I had, you know, I graduated college. I mean, I, I you know, I, I was comfortable. Um, I, I was comfortable talking to them. I, I didn't get nervous. Um, uh, and they were, for the most part, very nice to me because I was kind of like this new fresh face. And they all wanted to be the ones to sort of, you know, write something about this guy that maybe is going to be this up-and-coming actor. So I was, I was treated really well. Um and uh yeah, I mean I, I I don't I don't think I made any huge faux pas. That that came later. I, I made you no know, did lots of those later, but uh it, it went really well and I think that put me in good stead with the production and with the studio and um you know it it, it worked out it worked out pretty well.
1: What was it like to work with Ralph Macho?
2: So I mean you gotta remember I was a I was a customer buying a ticket for the first two, and now here I am on the back sta- on the back lot doing a scene with Ralph Macchio. But you know, I knew if I, you know, if I looked at him like he was this big star, I wasn't going to be able to do what I needed to do, which was to basically, you know, scare the shit out of this guy. I was to in- in- intimidate him, and they kept us apart a lot. I mean, I was I was kind of eager to want to go have dinner with them or go hang out, I wanted to be buddies, and. You know he was busy he was starring in a major film and you know he was he was he was very nice uh, but you know he had lots and lots of things to do and I think the producers also specifically wanted to keep us separate because they wanted to cultivate you know sort of a they they wanted to um, they wanted me to have a a, a sensibility of um, You know, an us and them. The you know, I'm I'm in the Cobra Kai, he's in Miyagi Do, and you know, I think it worked. They made they made the right choice.
1: That makes sense. And then the movie came out, and you did the press, and then like, were you like, did life change overnight after that? It it changed
2: quickly. I mean, the movie got lousy reviews, and it was not uh, a a huge hit. I mean, it 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 has kind of garnered sort of a, a cult status among the Karate Kid fans subsequently, but um, very quickly after that, you know what happened after that? I'll be really honest with you. I got a lot of really good auditions that I wasn't ready for. You know, I got this role from the Karate Kid 3 largely because I had a lot of charisma and I, you know, I I mean, the character was a one-dimensional character for the most part. It didn't require a whole lot of... of you know, layered acting. Um, I had just started to seriously study acting and I got a bunch of auditions after, and it, it, to this day, it's still a regret because, you know, I just wasn't ready for the quality of some of the auditions I got. I mean, I got, you know, I got to read with Ron Howard and I got to read. So, so I, I realized, um, you know, the phone sort of stopped ringing for a minute and I realized that I had to really get serious with what I was doing and, and learn how to act and, 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 you know, become uh, uh, a, a nuanced actor. And so I I got, a, I got a role on the Outsiders TV series, which Francis Ford Coppola produced. And that was a real good role for me. Um, and then I, I wound up doing a small thing with Oliver Stone. And then I thought the best thing I could do was do theater. And I decided to go do a play for about seven or eight weeks. And it was a... It, it made a, a paradigm shift in my acting. And, uh, from there, uh, I wound up screen testing for uh, general hospital and I got that and, um, being on the soap opera, uh, really again, helped my acting. You know, a lot of people slag soap operas, but I have to tell you, um, you, you, you learn to make choices very quickly. You have to play an emotional gamut, um, sometimes you know weekly uh and you really learn how to be a professional on set and you learn how to find your light how to you know about camera I mean a lot of stuff that you don't necessarily learn in acting class I mean there's stuff that you learn in in practical on-set experiences that is different than doing scene study and exercises which absolutely have their place but you know there's 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 an etiquette to being on the set. There there are technical things you need to learn. I'll tell you a funny story. When I first started doing General Hospital, uh, I was doing a scene with Leslie Charlson, who played my mother, Monica, and I was forever blocking her light. I just kind of didn't understand. So we'd be doing the scene, and I would feel her put her hand on my hip and gently sort of ease me to the side so I could clear the light onto her face because I was, like, blocking her light. So, you know, you learn. It's just stuff that you can only learn with experience. Um, and, I, and I'm so glad that I did.
1: And then what happens like if you block her light, just the shot isn't as good or what, she doesn't but, look as good?
2: It's in a shadow. So, I mean, you know, if it's horrendous, they redo it. But, you know, you get told, I mean, you're told, don't block my light. You know, you don't want another actor blocking your light because you obviously want to be seen as clearly and, you know, well as you could be seen. And it's, it's she knew I, I wasn't doing it to be rude. Um, I, I was doing it because it was the first, you know, significant, well, it was my first significant job on, on TV. That's, that's not accurate, but um, it was the first time I was working so consistently, you know, cause you're working on a soap opera, especially if you're in a big storyline, you know, I was working four days a week, you know, whereas, whereas when I was on the outsiders, I would probably work, you know, two or three days over the course of one show and then I'd have time off. So
1: were you at that point, you know, like, you know, did you know how Hollywood worked in the sense that like, were you completely let down when The Outsiders was canceled? You know, like, here's this. You
2: know, I I, I, I was let down because, you know, Billy Bob Thornton was on the show. I mean, it was, it was a good show. But the, the problem, and I'll, I'll, you know, I'll say it now, uh, you know, 30 years later, 25 years later, is that the guys who I liked a lot acted like absolute assholes. I mean, they were maniacs you got know, you a bunch of young guys in their early 20s that were full of testosterone and making a lot of very bad decisions with their behavior and it was you know and and i was not one of them i was actually you know i was really professional on that show but these guys were suddenly on the cover of us magazine people magazine i mean they got really really famous because the source material was S.C. Hinton's books, which I, I don't know about you, but I mean, I, I grew up reading them. Yeah. Monster movie with Tom Cruise, Emilio Estevez, Patrick Swayze, Rob Machio, C. Thomas Al, Rob Lowe. I mean, it was like people were watching and these guys got, they, they got Hollywooded. You know, they, they kind of let it go to their head. I mean, you know, the show had, I think, I think we had like three actors. We had two actors who committed OD. I mean, oh, wow. it was- uh, Rodney Harvey and Harold Pruitt. I mean, it was, it was an incredibly talented group of young actors. But, you know, when you're, young, when you're a young actor, I mean, if you don't grow up in a family that's a showbiz family and you get suddenly, you get some money, you get some fame, it doesn't really come up with a, come with a playbook. And unfortunately, a lot of times, you got a lot of people saying yes to you When they shouldn't, and nobody's saying no, and nobody's checking you, and you know, you you can make some real bad decisions. I mean, I've done it. I didn't do it. I didn't do it on that show, but believe me, I've done it. I mean, so I'm not sitting here, you know, speaking with condescension. But it was unfortunate because I think the show. I don't know if it would have gone five years, but I think it could have gone for a couple of years because we just had, we had a lot of talented people on that show.
1: Right. And like you start to believe the hype when you get some money and everyone telling you how great you are.
2: They were. They were. I mean, I, you know, see, I played, I played the leader of the socials. And so I wasn't one of the greasers. So I was, I was not one of the prime focuses of a lot of the, the press. I got my fair share of press, but these guys were just thrust into the spotlight. And Fox, you know, when you put the machinery of, of a studio and the studio's ability to generate publicity behind something, it's formidable. And that's what happened. And, you know, just, you know, and, and, and and several, more than several of the guys that were on the show went on to do big things. I mean, Billy Bob Thornton, obviously, you know, it's had a monster career, but you know, Jay Ferguson went on to go do a, uh, he went on to do a series called nightshade with nightshade with, uh, um, Bert Reynolds and, and other things. And, uh, Boyd Kestner went on to do GI Jane and he did uh, a bunch of other stuff. So people went on to, to do a lot of stuff. I you know they let me work every now and then. So people went on to, to do stuff. Um, and, but it was just really tragic that a couple of the guys, uh, you know, they, they didn't make it out. Of, they didn't make it out. They died. Wow. So that was rough.
1: When you got general hospital, did you not want to do a soap opera? You know, like you said, yep. there's certain.
2: I did. I, I didn't, you know, I, I know I kind of did things backwards where I did a big film and then I did a nighttime TV show. But then I, I flipped it. I, I did, you know, most people start out doing a play and I was like, I got, I don't learn math. And so I I, I did the play, and like I said, it was great. And the thing with General Hospital was my dear friend Steve Burton was playing Jason Quarterman, and he and I looked really similar. And so it just, and, and I wanted to work with Steve. I you know I, I love Steve. And it was such a great opportunity to play his on-screen brother. And again, you know, General Hospital was, you know, I mean, it's it's got such a legacy that, again, I was stepping into a job where, you know, it had an enormous worldwide fan base. So, you know, should I have maybe toughed it out and just really tried to continue doing film? I I don't know. Maybe. But, you know, one thing I've learned in this business is you know, I know you hear about actors who they say no and no and no, and 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 God bless them. But almost every time in my career when I've said no to something, when I've had a burden in the hand, it's turned out to be a mistake. And, you know, General Hospital became um, huge for me. I, I got, you know, it, it, did, it did a lot for my career. Um, and what I tried to do during all my time on, on the soaps was I've always tried to push against the mold of being a soap actor, actor by doing plays when I can, by doing other films. Yeah, I've, done, I've done 17 films now. And so I would always try and do a film when I was able to so that I wasn't just the soap guy. And I mean, you know, to this day, I still deal with, it's a, it's, it's a stigma a lot of the time. I mean, it's gotten better because now I've created my own show on Amazon. But I literally had to do that because I was having difficulty getting hired. And, and you know, I mean, I, you know, we can either go into that show now or not, but I mean, um, it, it almost dovetails into my book, too, you know about, about creating your own, you know, your own, your own opportunities, your own realities. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death
1: Okay, well, we're going to go into the book and that show. Trust me, because I watched the show. But no, but here, but, uh, to your point, like, why is it such a stigma? Because the thing is, like you said, like the goal is to work if you're an actor. And like, I, soap is like the most regular steady work there is.
2: Right? The Stigma is several folded. The first is that, you know, if you... Go to see someone in a in a theater. You've got to go pay, what is it now, $15. And you've got to shut up for two hours and sit in the dark. Okay? There's no commercials. You're making a conscious effort to drive to the theater and go do that. Soap operas, you can turn on five days a week. Uh, it's free. They're interrupted by commercials, which commercials, frankly, break the illusion of what you're watching. They're almost entirely exposition. There's, there's almost no action in them. Um, you're, as an actor, you're forced to say the same dialogue over and over again so that if somebody didn't catch the show Friday, they tune in Monday and they know it's being said. So you're constantly having to take the same dialogue and find out a way to say it in a new and hopefully interesting way. Um, you're on a sound stage, so you're using, you know, fake backdrops and things like that. So you know, it, it's, it's not – it's not um, – the, the deck is stacked against you to doing – having the very best end product in comparison to, say, a big budget film, okay? And so I think for that reason, I do think sometimes you get actors who it's their early job and they are still green. That's a reality. But I will say that some of the very best actors that I've ever worked with in my career, and I have worked with Academy Award-winning directors and Academy Award-winning actors, and some of them have been on soap operas. And I think that, you know, back in the day, there was this overly dramatic, hyperbolic acting, you know, in soap operas. But that's not how it is anymore. I mean, that's not... The reality of it but because it got lampooned for so long in other mediums you know soap dish um things like that it created kind of a a stigma of it okay and you know and and again without jumping ahead but one of the things that i was really adamant about on studio city is that it's a show within a show when we are filming the show within the show i wanted it to be played pretty straight. I mean, we we goose it here and there, but I didn't want it to be, you know, this, this, like I said, this overly hyperbolic acting where we were winking and nodding to the audience, like, we get it's a soap opera, so we're going to act, you know, way over the top. And I think that people really like that.
1: Right, like the show within the show, you wanted to still be kind of straight.
2: Yeah, you know? I mean, sometimes the, you know, sometimes the the circumstances make for it being, you know, humorous, but I, I didn't want it to be like this bombastic over the top, uh, you know, broad comedy. Cause it's, it's, you know, it's, it's a drama, but there, it's I like to say it's more of a dramedy because I'm always pushing for there to be more funny moments, but I want the moments to be funny rooted, not in farce, but you know, more in, not satire and farce, but more in, um, I, I, I guess, uh, lack of self knowledge, and um, you know, uh, characters that are, are kind of still need to develop who they are as people, and therefore they they behave in a way that seems funny because they're not quite as evolved as they should be. Speaking about my character, so.
1: That makes sense. Well, I mean, say what you want about soap operas. Like they have the most rabid fans, right? I mean, the most loyal fans.
2: They are amazing. And I am beyond thankful for how they have been so supportive of me.
1: So just humor me for a minute. Let's talk about some of your GH co-stars during your time there. Just some people that I enjoy in the world. Let's start with Vanessa Marcel.
2: Vanessa Marcel, You know, I, we, we were on the show at a very special time, you know, we, uh, Vanessa and Carrie Shane and Antonio Sabato and Steve Burton and, uh, Kimberly McCullough and, uh, uh, later Michael Sutton and later Ricky Martin were all kind of on in those early mid nineties years. Uh, the show was doing very well. And, uh, you know, uh, it, it was great. Uh, uh, Vanessa is a terrific actress. She's stunningly beautiful. Uh, Steve Burton and I used to give her a rough time all the time. We we kind of treated her like a little sister. And uh, you know, Steve and I were a little like heckle and Jekyll in those days. I mean, we were you know we were we were young guys and we we liked to have fun and you know we we made a lot of jokes and cut up and um, um, you know uh, but but it was it was a really special time to be in the show and we also we also tackled some really important social issues. You know, we had a, a, a really fantastic storyline uh, about HIV and um, you know, at that point in society, I mean, not, not to negate it now, but you know, there weren't all the, you know, there weren't all the medical options to manage it to the extent that it's managed now. And it was really uh, you know, it, it was very much of, of the minute, and um, you know, I had the I had the undesirable role of being kind of the negative and bigoted Greek chorus, uh, and it was very hard for me because I, had, I even at that time I had a lot of gay friends. Um, my my upstairs neighbors were a gay couple, and I you know I would speak to them about it, and they said, "Look, you know, you're you're telling part of an important story. That's your part." play that part to the best of your ability to shine a light on kind of you know what was the ignorance that a lot of people had and once I kind of got my head wrapped around it I I was able to do it well but initially I was really resistant to it because you know I didn't want to be that guy and uh I I didn't think my character should be that guy but you know I had a I had a part to play in, in that, in that opera, so to speak. Uh, and it was, um, I, I think it really reached a lot of people. Yeah.
1: Is it easy like for an actor on like a general hospital to go in and give notes? I mean, I guess it depends who you are.
2: No, they were not very receptive to notes, uh, on Bold and the Beautiful. Um, I wouldn't say going up and giving notes, but there were times when we would have, um, you know bilateral discussions that were creative and there were times that I actually did suggest some story ideas that were um, you know that later came to be Uh, you know every every show is different Um, you know Bold the Beautiful is run by the Bell family whereas General Hospital was initially run by Cap City which was a major major uh, uh, you know company and then later Disney so there was a much different and more corporate sensibility with General Hospital than there was with uh, Bold and Beautiful because, the, you know, with the Bold and Beautiful, the buck stops with Brad Bell, and right. Brad was always he was always fairly accessible, which was one of the things I loved the most about working for him. Um, yeah.
1: Did you have a lot of Brian Austin Green sightings because of Vanessa?
2: No. no. You know who she was going out with then, I think, was Jeremy Pivot.
1: Oh, really?
2: He was on the set. And then she was dating this famous hairdresser named Jonathan.
1: Jonathan Anton?
2: Yeah, I think that was him. Really? He had a tattoo on his arm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but later, years later, I worked with Brian Austin Green and Freddie Prince on Freddie's show, Freddie. Yeah.
1: How was that?
2: Great. Both they they were both great. Nice guys.
1: What was Ricky
2: ran into Freddie about three months ago. Uh, he was taking his kid bowling. And so we said hi and caught up. Nice guy. Yeah.
1: What was Ricky Martin like back then? So
2: Ricky, it was interesting. Um did not speak a lot of a lot of English. Very, very sweet, nice guy. Um, you felt like he was insulated, like he had people. Um we Didn't know who Ricky Martin was, other than we were told he was a very big Latin singer. We filmed a show where we were in the audience going to see Ricky sing, and we got there and we're like, what the? I mean, it was like he was working for probably the minimum amount of money on General Hospital and then flying down to like Argentina and selling out like a stadium. And we were like, wow. Um, and, uh, you know, he was, he was a really nice guy. I, I, I liked Ricky a lot. Um, again, I, I kind of was, you know, his foil. I mean, I kind of was, was set up to be, you know, his, I don't want to say his nemesis, but, um, but, uh, and, and then he left and then just, it became Ricky Martin mania. And, uh, he came back to the show, I think years later, to, to, to sing a song or something. But yeah, no, great guy.
1: So you guys didn't know how huge he was until you went to see not, one of his... Not
2: really. Not, not really. We, we sort of started to get an idea, but I think it was still very concentrated in um, Latin America and, and with the American Latino population going to see him. He, I, don't, I don't remember for a while getting that he was so big mainstream.
1: And he was like never a diva sat, like you could never yeah. tell.
2: Not to me. I thought he was extremely nice. I mean, I think if I had to be really honest, I, I would say that he was self-conscious. Um, you know, Ricky, you know, it's, I speak Italian and I've worked in television and film in Italy. And it's very difficult when you're acting in another language. Um, um, you know, one of the first things that, you tend to struggle with is your sense of humor. Um, he was learning a lot of dialogue in another language, and I can only imagine that it must have been really difficult for him. Uh, so I never had any experience with him that was anything but you know, but great.
1: That's good. And what about Antonio Sabato?
2: Antonio and I got along really well. I, I was definitely Antonio and I were uh, each other's nemesis for sure. You know, um, I like Antonio a lot. Um, I later went on to do a film with him called The Chaos Factor. Um, uh, you know, Antonio and I boxed together. We boxed with the same trainer. So we've had a lot of sort of interesting through lines through our lives. Um, you know, I, I, it was frustrating for me. And this said nothing to do with Antonio. It had to do with the producer. But she basically said, you're on the show to help make Antonio look good and i said well that's not why i'm on the show i'm here to play the truth of my character and she said well your character's an asshole and i said well you know no character thinks they're an asshole they're fighting for what they think is right and doing what they think you know is is serves their world i don't know how to play asshole and so i had a lot of um I had a lot of issues uh, on the show. Um, I was, there were times when I was not real happy. I don't think I was treated particularly well on the show. Um, I probably developed a little bit of a chip on my shoulder, but uh, none of that had anything to do with Antonio.
1: And was it, it was just your character and Steve Barton's character, not so much.
2: No. Steve was Steve was the the golden boy of the quarter mains, and I was the black sheep. And I liked playing the black sheep because it gave me a lot of really rich things to play. It was more what I felt was kind of a. I just feel felt like it was a bit of a lack of respect and a lack of support from the show that uh, uh, was unfortunate. Um, you know, I've always I've, I've always been the kind of guy where I I um, I excel with positive reinforcement and Mm -hmm. i I just didn't feel like i was getting that a whole lot
1: and then you laughed Mm -hmm. and then
2: what did i do after that i think the next thing i did was i did i went down to texas and shot walker texas ranger with chuck norris and uh truthfully i'd have to look and see I, i wound up i wound up starting Bold and the Beautiful, I think, in 2001. Um, I had done some independent films before that. So, you know, I, 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 I was working, uh, nothing probably quite as high, high profile until I got, I, I got onto uh, uh, Bold and Beautiful.
1: Do you have a preference, like, between General Hospital, Bold and Beautiful, and Young and Restless? You've kind of done them all.
2: Uh, yeah, no, I would say definitely the Bold and Beautiful without a doubt. Um, I, uh, you know, it was a great experience. Uh, the show was in, I think in the, at the time, it was like 100 countries. It was the most syndicated show in the world. And, um, you know, it was the impetus for me to start learning Italian because it was so uh, followed in Italy. Um, I loved my character, Deacon Sharp. I just, I, I thought, you know, to this day, it's one of the, the, the best Uh, work experiences and creative experiences I've had.
1: Did you ever overlap with Eileen Davidson when you were on Young and Restless?
2: Well, Eileen, it's funny, I actually talked to Eileen about two months ago. Uh, Was Eileen on when I was on? I
1: I don't know, I I couldn't, I thought. I never
2: worked with her, I don't think.
1: I think she might've been for some of it. But I,
2: I, I, I never worked with her.
1: But you know her.
2: Oh yeah. I'm a, I'm a big fan of my names. I think she's terrific. Yeah.
1: I mean, I just asked cause of, you know, real housewives of Beverly Hills. I mean, that's, you know, come on.
2: And I worked with Lisa Rinna because Lisa used to have a, she used to have a show with uh, Ty Pennington. She used to have a talk show. And so I did that a couple times. So I know Lisa.
1: Uh, yeah. You know, I mean, it gets to be a small world. What is Lisa like in person?
2: Very bubbly, very effusive. Very nice, very funny. Um, always was very kind to me. Uh, you know, I mean, I've seen her on the show, and I mean, look, I think I think I think that's a, I think a lot of that's a role she plays. You know, I mean, they 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 each have to have you know specific roles uh, and, and personality um, pigeonholes, I guess, to propel the show. I don't, you know I
1: don't know. But you you've watched the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills before? Yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: I see nothing wrong with that. Yeah, I
2: mean, listen, I you know I think it's good fun. I mean, to me, it's like putting a bunch of cats in a burlap sack and hitting it with a stick. I mean, they just <laughs> but but it's fun. I mean, you know.
1: I mean, it's kind of like the new soap opera now is reality TV.
2: Um. Well, I mean, listen, you know, reality TV. I don't think is as formidable as it was years ago. Um, But yeah, uh, you know, I mean, undoubtedly, I mean, it's got, it's got a huge viewership.
1: Are you shocked at kind of how like the world is soaps and then we'll move on to your current stuff, like how it's changed, you know, like, look, we have, I mean, Erica Kane, Susan Lucci, all my children is gone. Like, I don't know. Like, are you, does that ever shock you? that just the soaps have gone through. (laughs)
2: It's unfortunate, but it's, I think it's a direct result of um, the economics of producing uh, reality TV. Now, I understand that a lot of reality TV stars now are making a lot of money, but in the beginning, they weren't, and they were so much less expensive to produce, and they were like something the viewing public really hadn't seen before, and so it, it stole a bunch of market share, or I would say stole it. It, it took it. You know, I mean, it's television survival of the fittest. And, uh, you know, the, uh, the shows with the better ratings were the ones, I guess, that survived. But, yeah, so, I mean, it's unfortunate. Um, uh, but I think that Soap still have very loyal fans. And, um, you know, I think people will always be interested in watching... Uh, um, watching connected relationships with characters that they have known and loved for a long period of time. So I, I I don't see Soap's going away completely.
1: That makes sense. Is there like a chatter amongst the acting community? You know, like you have like Elisa Rinna now, who's really, this is kind of the role she was born to play. You know what I mean? Like, listen, like you said, like five, 10 years ago, like an actor would never do reality TV. I mean, is there... So what is your thoughts on that? Like in the acting community, you know what I mean? Like, is it, you
2: know, you know, you, you see big actors do game shows now. I mean, doesn't Alec Baldwin do a game show? I mean, it's like, you know, uh, I think the lines are getting blurred. I think some of the best stuff out there is on Netflix or Amazon prime. You know, it's no longer network TV all the time or or film. And so I think the, the lines are getting blurred and, People are able to, you know, dip their toe into other mediums with more impunity. Um, I, I wish that was the case for people that had done soaps and that they would be a little more uh, tolerant of that. But, you know, it, it's, it's true. There is still difficulty sometimes, for me at least, getting seen for certain auditions because they, you know, my engineers, who oh, is a soap guy? I haven't been on a soap in four years and I have my own show now that's that's on Amazon Prime, but, you know, it takes a while to change perception. So, you know, I'm patient.
1: So how did Studio City then come about?
2: So Studio City is a project that I've been trying to get made for over a decade. Uh, It is my baby. Um, I I had done two films with a producer whose name is Tim Woodward Jr. Uh, I went to go talk to him about doing his next film. And we got on the subject of uh, d- television and then digital dramas. And he decided he, he really wanted to see what it was like doing a digital drama. And you know, I'm, I'm rifling through my head. Can, 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 can this be made into uh, uh, a digital drama? And I said, I think I have a project that might work for you. And he said, well, if I like it, I'll do it. And how many times do you hear that in Hollywood? But to his credit, He read it, and I think eight weeks later, we were in production. And uh, that was just him who texted me right now. And we are working on putting together season two.
1: And then how did it end up at Amazon Prime? Like, did it get shopped? I mean, because that's a great vehicle for it. Um, I I
2: think really, I I have to give Tim credit for that. Tim had an existing relationship with Amazon. uh, And so he, uh, he, he got it on there. And now, you know, our next goal is to take it worldwide. No, I, don't, I, I don't know if we're going to stay on Amazon Prime or not. I think we might, but we definitely want to get the show uh, distributed worldwide and translated into other languages. And this second season is going to be uh, an expanded season with longer episodes and more of them.
1: And what can you tell just for people who haven't seen it? Because it's great. Like, and where, like, I mean, you know, like, where did this idea come from in your head? Well,
2: you know, they, they say, write what you know. And I mean, you know, one thing I know is what it's like to be an actor on daytime television. And, uh, you know, I wanted to create a show where I could play a character that was very similar to who I am. I mean, I, like I said, I, I like to think I'm a, a more evolved guy than my character Sam. And not all of the experiences that he undergoes are things that I've dealt with. But the guy's you know, he's, he's just left or just right of center of who I am. Um, and, uh, you know, I think, I think there's, we deal with a lot of important social issues on the show. Uh, we deal with, you know, in me too. We deal with ageism. You know, my character is no longer the young leading man on the show. He's got this new sort of younger, better looking version of me nipping at my heels and I'm in the middle of contract negotiations and, you know, you, you realize, you you see my character initially and you think, okay, he's starring on a soap opera. He must have the world by the tail, you know, wealthy, blah, 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 blah. And, and as the layers of the onion get peeled off, you realize that not only does this guy have a lot of flaws that we all have and deal with, but he's got a lot of the same issues and challenges and struggles that, everyday people have yeah he's got an interesting job and yeah people know who he is but you know he's kind of always trying to make ends meet because he's always giving money to his mother and doing this and doing that and um you know i I think uh i think it gives an interesting and, and fairly honest look at what it's like to be an actor starring on a daytime television show um And uh, we got some terrific stuff lined up for for season two. And I I really hope if people haven't seen it, they'll give it a chance, check it out on Amazon Prime. Uh, The episodes are between 10 and 15 minutes. Uh, There's only six for the first season, so you can watch it in like under two hours. And, uh, you know, the the first year we were nominated for 12 Indie Series Awards, and I, I was incredibly blessed to... Uh, have have won outstanding lead actor uh, for my category. And we were nominated for eight Emmys and Tristan Rogers won for best supporting actor. And, you know, when you write something and it gets made, you know, the first thing is you hope it's going to be well received and that the the audience is going to like it. And for the most part they did. And then, you know, any kind of positive critique that you get is icing on the cake.
1: And then to win an Emmy for something you've worked on for so long. Yeah. Yeah. And Tristan Rogers, Robert Scorpio. I mean, yeah. you called upon some of your friends.
2: Yeah. You know, I, I, I told him, I said, Tristan, if, if you trust me, we're going to create something for you that is going to show you in a way that is not Robert Scorpio, that is certainly not Colin, whatever his name is, and you are going to win the Emmy because I know Tristan, I know him very, very well. And I said, I know you're going to win the Emmy if you listen to me. And if you listen to our director, and if you trust the writing, and I know you'll deliver the performance. And, you know, he, in his 50-year career, has never been nominated for an Emmy, let alone win one. And for me, you know, it was, it was, uh, what's the word? Um, It was exhilarating for me when he won You know, he called me, he was, I I could tell, he'd never admit it, because he's like an old tough outback piece of leather, but he, uh, I I could tell he was uh, misty, you know, he was was tearing up,
1: because he finally
2: got the recognition that he so richly deserves.
1: Yeah, and to like play, you know, one or two roles your whole life, and now be seen in like a whole different way, has got to be huge for someone. Yeah, I I think think so. And season two, so that's great. We have a season two, so everyone needs to look forward to that. Talk to us about the book.
2: So the book is called "Way of the Cobra." Um, my last book was called "Success Factor X," and my my writing partner and I went out to fifty incredible people and said, "What's the best advice that you have about success?" And we got amazing people. We got Anthony Robbins and Mark Cuban and uh, Daryl McDaniels, founding member of Run DMC, and. Baseball players, football players. So I've become very interested in the science of success, technology used to achieve goals, et cetera. And so uh, I've created this system called Way of the Cobra, which uses the word Cobra as an acronym uh, formed by um, uh, character, organization, balance, respect, and abundance. And I talk about a lot of strategies that I used to – Create Success Factor X, which became an Amazon new release bestseller uh, and was named one of the 20 most inspirational books of the last two decades by Book Authority and Studio City, uh, and a lot of other stuff that I did all in 2019. And these are strategies that I know work because they work for me. And uh, uh, capitalizing on sort of the mania that has happened with Cobra Kai on Netflix and my having been. Uh, in The Karate Kid, I thought, okay, let's call it Way of the Cobra. And, and you know, I, Cobra in the book is synonymous with somebody who is basically a baller, you know, somebody who is self-actualized and evolved and gets it and knows how to, you know, set their goals and, and pursue them. Um, you know, one of the things I talk about in the book, and I... <clears throat> I talk about success and I say that you've got to decide what your success is, not the success that is spoon fed to you from Madison Avenue commercials, not the success that you view from the the conspicuous consumption from insecure celebrities on their Instagram feeds and not from the airbrushed pictures of models on the covers of magazines. You have to decide what sex success means for you, and if you don't know what your success looks like, how are you going to get there? Um, so, I, I in the book, I uh, I lead people through uh, you know goal setting and achieving success. I talk about you know the obstacles that potentially could stand in your way. I talk about not being a victim and you know accepting responsibility that you know where you are in your life. Is who you are, and it's based on the decisions that you've made up till that point. Where you are at this very minute is based upon all the decisions and choices that you have made up until this moment.
0: Ah, mm, the first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. The good ones and the
2: bad ones. And you've got to accept responsibility for them and stop blaming mommy and daddy or anyone else. Uh, And you also have to accept that the universe wants you to succeed. That it is literally... We are genetically wired to succeed. And by that, I mean, we all have the instinct to survive. You know, there's a reason why human beings 200,000 years ago that were not the apex predators, they weren't the T-Rexes, survived. Because we're hardwired to survive. And that's the very first rung on the ladder of success is being able to survive. So, you know, I, I get people to understand that, you know, the universe is not out to get you. You know, the deck is not stacked against you. In fact, the universe wants you to succeed because when you succeed, the rest of the world incrementally exceeds kind of like the force in Star Wars. You know, when one thing gets strong, it all gets stronger. When one thing weakens, it all weakens a little bit. So uh, the book is going to be out sometime around Christmas. Um, if people want to pre-order it, they can go to, uh, I think it's Cobra Kai. Cobra Kai, no, it's it's. It's wayofthecobra.com. We just set it up. Excuse me, wayofthecobra.com. And, um, uh, you know, I, I, I know there's really good uh, practical information in this book that can help a lot of people. And that's why I'm doing it. Because because my, you know, one of the things I also talk about is, is finding your why. You know, because your why is what fuels you. Your why is what's going to get you out of bed in the morning. It's going to pick you up off the ground when you get knocked down. And for me, you know, one of my whys is that I want to be able to inspire people. I want to inspire them to live their best life because selfishly that in turn helps me lead my best life.
1: So how'd you get into all of that and writing a first book? I mean, as an actor, like just, you know, it's well, I mean, you know, I mean,
2: acting is one thing I do. It's it's, it's one part of my life. It's not the only part of my life. And, you know, I've had uh, a lot of experience crammed into my 54 soon to be 54 years. Uh, And I I think another thing I talk about in the book is, is finding a mentor and, you know, if you can find somebody to mentor you and to show you a path that allows you to sidestep a lot of the pitfalls and obstacles uh, I think it's a really smart move. You know, for me, Anthony Robbins was a huge mentor of mine. Uh, uh, I, I believe that it's important in life to find a mentor because it also prepares you to later be a mentor. And I think that that is one of the greatest ways that we can give back is by helping other people. Uh, and, and the best way to help other people is, is, um, one of the best ways is by sharing valuable advice that allows them to, uh, sidestep, you know, pain and frustration and and knocking your head against the wall. People done that for me and I'd like to pass it on.
1: That makes sense. And how did, I know, cause when we spoke last week on the phone, you were coming from an anti-bullying chat, you were getting, yeah. like, how'd you get involved with that? And what's that all like? about? Was,
2: I was pretty significantly bullied when I was a kid. Uh, it was pretty bad. And, uh, to this day, I hate bullies. I, I, uh, um, it's funny, I, I, I later grew up to play an iconic bully. It's not funny? But um, w- interestingly, what that does is when I go to schools to talk to the kids and play a clip, and I said, would you believe that scary guy actually was bullied? And it gives me kind of an instant street cred and entree <clears throat> to speak to the kids about bullying. Um, you know, bullying is a, bullying is a pandemic, um, especially with cyberbullying. You know, when I was a kid and you got bullied, you know, you got bullied in the way to school, you got bullied in the lunchroom, you got bullied after school. But now, with one stroke on the keyboard, kids are getting bullied to everyone in their school 24 hours a day. And, <clears throat> you know, suicide is the fourth leading cause of death among adolescents. And bullying is a major contributing factor to that. And so for me, again, I'm really passionate about inspiring people to be their best. And bullying bullying certainly is not part of being their best.
1: I was bullied as a child too. And I say this all the time that, I mean, like, I can't even imagine what social media, you know what I mean? Like if I had to be in high school now, I couldn't even imagine it. Like it's out I, of control.
2: You know, it's you know funny. One of the things they, I, I, I told the kids, I said, you know, it's, it's really only in <clears> – <throat> elementary school and high school where you get away with this kind of behavior because if you behave like like this at your job or out in society you know it's either called assault or you get fired but it's just not tolerated I mean I'm not saying that there's not bullying that goes on but it is massively socially unacceptable to do you know I mean there's lots of people I don't like but I, I certainly would not bully them nor would I ever expect to be bullied nor would I tolerate it but for some reason and you know and, and this is another thing I say to the kids you know I said this is not a dig on you but your brains are not fully formed you know your, your your brains don't fully form in the frontal lobe until I think you're 18 or 19 years old anyway also you're still figuring out who am I am I the jock am I the creative kid am I you know you're still trying on different trying on different outfits so to speak different skins and a lot of times that comes with a lot of insecurity and unfortunately that insecurity sometimes manifests in you being different and people tend to pick on people who are different um you know a lot of kids are you know getting they've got real bad home situations and they take it out on other kids so it's something i'm really invested in and and i will continue to be invested in.
1: a good cause and I, kids are brutal like Are they are. They're brutal. Did you already have all of your live appearances? I know you had some coming up. No, I I, I'm
2: actually going to be headlining at the Atlantic City Comedy Club uh Thursday, November nineteenth at seven thirty. Uh tickets are available. Um I, I think on my my Twitter you can get them. Um but yeah, you can just uh Google the Atlantic City Comedy Club and it's gonna be a great night. It's gonna be a lot of fun.
1: You're coming east. I'm coming east. Yeah. Is there anything else we didn't cover here today? I always like to give people a chance at the end. Everyone needs to watch Studio City for sure.
2: Um, you know, I, I, the only other thing I would say is that I am going to be starting doing uh, Zoom seminars with uh, Way of the Cobra. And uh, I'll certainly be uh, promoting those on Instagram and Twitter. And, uh, you know, if people follow me on uh, Instagram, which is Sean.Kanon or Twitter, which is Sean Cannon, everything I do, I put out there and it would be great if, uh, if people would, you know, take a chance and participate and see, uh, see if they can get some value from it.
1: When, when people follow you or come up to you pre-COVID, is it more for AJ Quartermain? Is it more for, what is it? Is it more for Karate Kid or just a whole bunch of things?
2: More, and now it's more from Karate Kid because of the success of Cobra Kai, but still a lot of people, yeah, from from General Hospital. I mean, like I said, I'm really fortunate to have been a part of several shows and films that, that have such a built-in audience, so, you uh,
1: know, yeah. Like those celebrity fan conventions, like GH has a crazy following. Right, anything Karate Kid has a crazy following. Yeah. So. Yeah. But you know what? Maybe in a year it'll be Studio City, so... That's, that's,
2: that's, that's the goal. I'm working on it. I am working on it. So uh, please keep the faith. And uh, thank you for thank you for promoting this and grabbing me on. I really appreciate it. And uh, hopefully you'll get a chance to see uh, the second city of Studio City when that's on and tell me what you think.
1: I'm going to be watching it and keep in touch. You're great. I really appreciate your time.
2: Do the best. Stay safe. All the best with your career. And uh, I, I feel like I made a friend. It was just really nice talking to you. Same Take here. I,
1: I'm good at keeping in touch. So keep in touch. Please.
2: Okay? All right. Bye-bye. Thanks
1: to everyone who watched you, Bye bye. you later. Bye. Thanks for listening to yet another episode of Behind the Velvet Rope. Because without you listeners, I would just be a crazy person with voices in my head. And if you like what you hear... And you want more, David, go to Cameo and book me on Cameo. And you can ask me anything there. I'll answer whatever you want. And I have a bargain basement price of $10. Thank you, guys. See you soon.
0: Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy.